And let's crack open Joel chapter 2. Would you stand and uh, let's read God's word together in Joel? Joel chapter 2. I hope you're ready to stand for a while because we've got two verses to read. It'll be long. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, Joel says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Verse 29. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Can we just ask the Holy Spirit for his help? Thank you for this text. Thank you for what Joel is prophesying. Thank you for its timing in this text. Holy Spirit, will you shine the light of your truth on this word this morning to our souls? May we drink deep from what the text has to say. May it help us as we make disciples from here. May it help us in our own life as we take a look at, the, at Yahweh pouring out his spirit on his people. Thank you for this text. Thank you. And we ask Holy Spirit for forgiveness because at times... I believe we are minimizing your role uniquely given to us uh, during this time. So help us, help us to have a fresh appreciation, Holy Spirit, of your work. What this, what you, the third person of the Trinity, is doing right now, preparing us for glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We trust you during this time, Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. So if you're guests with us, uh, we've been studying the book of Joel. We're studying through the minor prophets. There's 12 of them. Uh, We're calling this series Major Messages for Minor Prophets. Um, Let me give you one warning before we start this message today. Today, I might be looking really funny at you, okay? Don't take it personal. My glasses broke midweek this week, and so I'm not seeing too great. But for me to, I'm kind of, I keep squinting and like looking and I'm finding this week, everybody thinks I'm looking at them real intensely. Just know this. If I'm looking into the eyeballs of your soul, I can't see anything anyways. All right? So, you're going to be okay. So, uh, it's my fault. I, I've been needing to replace these glasses for like a year, but it's kind of one of those things. Do any of y'all ever have these kind of to-do lists in a day, but then the priority of those to-do lists just kind of get bumped down to the bottom? Well, getting new glasses has been on my to-do list for about a year, but it never seems to make itself to the top priority but um, I, was, I was heading in to work out this week, um, and actually, Noel was there. I don't know if you remember. It's like, I'm walking in, and like, the glasses just fall apart, like, and that's it. They're done. So um, I found a pair. Now I've got to get them ordered. So we'll see. Maybe I can see you next week. So, so please wear makeup. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Y'all can delete that, right? <laughs> okay. I'm going to get on my best behavior here. Okay. Lord, help me. So here's the thing I love about Joel chapter 2. Thus far, and and by the way, if you're a guest with us, please go back and listen to Joel and what we've been doing thus far. This is going to help you frame up what I'm actually talking about as we go through this book. But here's the deal that's happened thus far. 
Joel has been in chapter 1 and 2 has been describing to them, has been warning them that they need to repent. And the good news is, is that they did repent. The southern kingdom of Judah did repent in this text. So this is great news for them. And we discovered last week that the way that God responded. And by the way, if you hear me say, if you're a guest, Yahweh, this is the name that when you see capital L-O-R-D in the text, this is the covenant name of God for his people, Israel, Yahweh. It's I am. I've told you before, what does I am mean? It really doesn't have a meaning except that that's exactly what God is. I mean, how can the infinite God describe himself to finite puny us? I am what I am. That's how boss he is. But nonetheless, we're calling it the title of the message is Yahweh pours out his spirit, right? And this is what Yahweh's doing. He's but he's telling Joel that he's going to pour out his spirit. Joel is prophesying to them of a day that this is going to come. Now, in the text, basically remember, they had repented last week. That's what we looked at. And God, as a result of that repentance, there was blessings. Now, the first blessing was Yahweh's name was glorified. There was much made of his name. But then there was earthly blessings for them. If you look back at your text and you look back, you see in verse chapter 2, verse 25, an earthly blessing happened for them where... God, where Joel had said that the, that, the Lord pro, that the Lord made this promise, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. If you were here for prior weeks, you discovered that there was this locust plague that was a sign of the coming invasion that was going to happen if they didn't repent of their sin. So they repented, and it looks like the Lord is going to restore their devastated agricultural land. So Not only does their repentance show that Yahweh's name is glorified, much is made of him, they receive earthly kind of blessings. This is a prime time for then Joel to come in through the Lord's Spirit and prophesy like, listen, you think the blessing of not having an invading army is great, and you think the blessing of getting to glorify his name, and you think the blessing of having your agriculture back, like what the locusts had destroyed is great, but let me tell you something that's really great. One day, his spirit is going to pour out. Yahweh's going to pour it out on everybody. So some people wonder, like, why is verse 28 in here? This makes no sense. It just, out of nowhere, this pops in. Well, that's kind of how prophets work. They, they kind of have their own timetable when they start saying things. But there's, this is really pointed because all the blessings that they had d- discovered as a result of repentance, there was a, it was pointing towards a bigger blessing that would come someday When the Holy Spirit of Yahweh would be poured out on his people. And just a side note, what a great parallel. The people repent and there's a promise of Yahweh. And today, if you are not a follower of Jesus and you repent of your sinfulness and place your faith in the finished work of Christ, the Holy Spirit will be poured out into your life right now, today, instantly. That's when it happens. So... We come to this text in verse 28. It's very timely, actually, that, that, that Joel would come in and say, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that God would do this on all flesh. Now, just as a side note, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person, it's a he. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And we often, this is how we describe it. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, most people would hear that and go, I do not get that. Well, join the team. I don't completely get it either. But I know that the evidence of Scripture points out that God, 
that there are three persons but one God. Now, when we say persons, what we're saying is don't think like persons like you're seeing Nick here with no glasses, okay? Think person in kind of the idea of that the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Father, they have unique personhood. When you have personhood, it means that you, that you can, like, for instance, the Holy Spirit grieves when we sin. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit um, can be resisted. The Holy Spirit has action. The Holy Spirit brings comfort. So when we say the Holy Spirit is a person, Think less like like me, like you see someone before you and think it has personhood. It has attributes. It has a unique defined will as the third person of the Trinity. Just like the Son has a unique personhood as the second person of the Trinity. Just like the Father does as well. That way, that's how we say God eternally exists in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, but yet there is one God. I love that we can't completely grasp the Trinity because this would then mean that we can't actually that we could actually grasp everything about God. The Trinity actually causes me to keep worshiping God because this is a God that's holy other than me. He's, he's something so I am that 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 my mind is boggled every time I think I've found like the neatest illustration to prove the Trinity. It all kind of breaks down. By the way, just so you know this too, you know you can pray right to the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people think that, and by the way, you hear us and there's nothing wrong that a lot of times we start off our prayers with Father. And that's not bad. We see that modeled. Uh, and then we'll end it in Jesus' name. Do you know, though, that you can actually start a prayer with to the Holy Spirit and you can end a prayer with the Holy Spirit? There's nothing prohibiting. You actually see some evidence of that in Acts. So the Holy Spirit is God. And actually, I would say this. If there's something unique the Holy Spirit is doing, unique in the scriptures, that is attributed to his defined role, you could actually say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. So, for instance, if you're going to go out and minister the gospel, you could uniquely say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. Like, Holy Spirit, would you walk with me? Holy Spirit, would you, reve- would you lead me, Holy Spirit, to the people that you have marked out for salvation? Would you lead me to people that are people called to peace? Now, here's the interesting thing about this text. Look back in verse 28. And this was something totally holy another. That his spirit would be poured out on all people. It says in the text of verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterwards, Joel says, And I will pour out my spirit. The Lord says he's going to pour it out on all, what does it say? On all flesh. Just so you know at that point, God's Holy Spirit was working in the Old Testament. God's Holy Spirit was working during the time of Joel. And God's Holy Spirit, there are people who walked with the Holy Spirit in this time. But the permanent indwelling, the permanent residing for anybody who is a follower of Jesus uh, it was not on them yet. The Holy Spirit, when you look through the Old Testament, it was like you'll see times where David has the Spirit, Saul has the Spirit. The Spirit seems to kind of come on people when he's the Holy Spirit's trying to give them some kind of empowerment for a kind of act of service. We do discover that Joshua is described as someone that has the Spirit. But this unique power, this unique anointing, this unique permanent indwelling, this unique ability to obey God, the, the Old Testament saints did not have what we have today. Now, don't get me, don't think that the Holy Spirit wasn't as powerful and relevant for the Old Testament. I mean, you can look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the very beginning, you discover the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. So don't negate that he's actually there and he's actually working. But this unique 
promise from God was that there'll come a day when his spirit will be poured out on man in such a way that he will be empowered to live for him for the glory of God. It's something that when Joel writes this in verse 28, it is watershed for these people. Because at this point, when the people read this, their thought was, wow, we've not lived life like that. Like when we, when we think of the spirit of God, we're thinking, oh, he's over here in the tabernacle we think of the spirit of god oh he's over here empowering a a king or he's over here empowering a prophet um like like elijah but you mean he's going to be in everybody and by the way look at this keep looking at your text he's going to be in your sons your daughters doesn't matter the age your old men shall dream dreams your young men will see visions on every male and female servant. So the, a male and female servant in verse 29 would be somebody who's kind of maybe lower on the socioeconomic scale. Someone who is in indentured servitude. That, that it, it didn't even matter. Age didn't matter. Socioeconomic status didn't matter. And it also didn't matter that usually the Holy Spirit of God, when we look through the text of the Old Testament, is usually something that's kind of happening around Israel and their kind of covenant nation. But now the Spirit is going to be for all flesh. So this is going to go past just Jews, but also the Gentiles. This was watershed that it would say, in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit, and it's going to be on everybody. This is good news for us people. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit at salvation. You don't have to look this up, but Ephesians 1.13 is your promise about Yahweh pouring His Spirit into your life. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. This is what happened to me, guys, when I became a follower at 16. The gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So today, this is actually a huge thing. Like, so if you've walked in here today and you're kind of like, man, I don't feel like God's with me. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, on the authority of God's Word, the Holy Spirit is with you. And Joel already said it a long time ago that his Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on you. Isn't that amazing? So regardless of your feeling, the truth of God's word says that if you are a true follower of his, the Spirit is right in your life. And, and just so you know, that changes everything. And also that takes away so many excuses. Now here's what's interesting. I just want to give you a little background that's kind of, I'm going to try not to get lost in the details here. Are y'all still with me? Are y'all okay? All right. Let's see if I explain this right, or explain this well. I feel like I have it right, but whether I explain it well, who knows. Hold your place in Joel 2. And so Joel makes this prophecy. And it shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophecy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Verse 29. And, on the, on, on, and even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And then... He does, by the way, we're not going to look at verse 30 through 32. That's going to be next week. But I want you to do this. Hold your place there and then go over to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we actually find the fulfillment of this happening. It's something called the day of Pentecost. Now, it's interesting about the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50, right? Which means 50 days. So when we come to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 is taking place 50 
days after the Passover. Does anybody know what happened 50 days before Pentecost at the Passover? Does anybody know who was crucified? Okay, his name was Jesus, right? So when we're reading Acts chapter 2, we're 50 days, okay? We're 50 days away from the cross, the Passover. Now, what's also happening for ethnic Jewish people at this time is they're celebrating Passover, or they're celebrating Pentecost at this time. They actually um, would, would, um, would call this kind of the Feast of Weeks or Shavat. Shavat, okay? So if I say the word Shavat or Pentecost, we're talking about the same thing, or Feast of Weeks. We're talking about the same thing. The word Shavat means weeks, seven weeks. It's in Hebrew. Okay, it was a festival, Shavuot, that they would actually celebrate during that time. Now, it's also called Pentecost because that's the Greek way of saying 50. And Shavuot is, is seven, 49, seven weeks of seven, which is 49, which is kind of their way of actually saying that 50th day, Shavuot. Nonetheless, that was all extra. There's no offering plates going to be passed for that. So you understand when you're reading Acts chapter 2, 50 days... After Jesus, after the Passover, after Jesus has been to the cross. And when Joel gives this prophecy, the prophecy was going to come true 50 days after the Passover. And by the way, when Joel gives this prophecy of what it's pointing to in the future, the Jews for years were already worshiping and coming together for this feast. There's a reason why there's so many people actually in Jerusalem at the time. Now, I just want to read for you what happens. Can you read with me? Look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a little bit now. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is directly what Joel was talking about. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Remember, this 50 days later. Jesus has already ascended. Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit was going to come. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. And rested on each of them. By the way, just remember, divided tongues as a fire. We see some fire coming when the Holy Spirit comes. Initially here at Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were all these extra Jewish people from every heaven under nation in Jerusalem at this time? Because it was, it, it, it was that festival time. It was the Feast of Weeks. It was Pentecost. It was Savat. So nonetheless, a lot of Jews are there that day. Great opportune time for the Holy Spirit to come. Verse 6. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are, 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 not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They couldn't figure it out. These people were speaking, but yet they were speaking in their language and understanding in another person's language. Parthians, Medes. Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pyrgia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. That's your next vacation itinerary that I just read. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them tell in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocked, said they're full of new wine. So some were saying, these guys are drunk. Others were saying, like, how are people speaking and we're understanding when we have different dialects? 
Peter pops up, verse 14. Peter standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed to them. This is considered really the first Christian message after Jesus' ascension. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Peter says, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's saying it's just not late enough yet. And this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servant and female servant. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. We'll deal with 19, 20, and 21 next week. But bump down to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you. By God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in the midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. By the way, this is a side note, rabbit trail. Look in verse 23. You know, I love verse 23. This Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I love this because it was God that did it, but man has responsibility. So if you ever just wanted like, how do you entangle things like God doing and man's responsibility? Here's a great tension right here in this text. God is the one responsible for all the work of the cross, but yet man has, has contributed to it. Who is responsible for salvation? God is the only one that calls you, but yet in some mysterious way, only when God calls, you have to respond to the gospel call. I don't know how to get all the tension behind that, but I know this. Only God calls and man is responsible to respond. If a man goes to hell, he has only himself to blame. If a man gets to heaven, he has only God to praise. And that's a great tension in Scripture. I don't know how to d- d- explain it too well past that. But nonetheless, he says this, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man standing before you, well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which became the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven given to man, man, whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And it, and, it, and it says this. Actually, wait a minute. Whoa, guys, I just went over to chapter 4. No wonder that didn't make sense. I was like, where is that at? I do need some glasses. Well, you're all right. <laughs> you're like, well, we're just going to follow it. Whatever. Yeah, sure. So he gets up. He delivers this message. And by the way, I want you just to do this. Bump down to verse 41, actually. And after Peter delivers this message, we won't read all of his message for time's sake, but at the end of his message, verse 41 in chapter 2, remember, he just said, this is what Joel had told you about. This Holy Spirit, what you're seeing people, this is what Joel had said. Now watch what happens in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about how many souls? Now here's the interesting thing. Pentecost, 50 Shavat, it means it's, that, it's like seven, seven, four, seven weeks of seven. It ends up being 50. Now, here's the interesting thing. The children of Israel leave Egypt, right? That's the first Passover. And it's not exactly 50 days, but it's just a little bit after, but, but pretty close in that 
time frame, the children of Israel, they leave Egypt. In just a little over 50 days, they arrive at Mount Sinai. What happens at Mount Sinai? Moses starts to go up. Now, when you really read it, it looks like about eight times Moses is going up and down the mountain for 40 days here, 40 days there. But you see this initialization of he's starting to go up to the mountain and receive the law of God, receive what God has for his people. He receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the moral law, the Ten Commandments. He receives what's called the civil law, was how their society was going to be regulated. He receives the ceremonial law, which is the sacrifice, the offering, the tabernacle. He receives the what's called the law of God, the Torah. He receives God's direction for his covenant people, right? And that's around the a little bit the 50th day. Now remember, at this time, part of God's law that he instills into Moses, that he gives him direction at Sinai, is he says, there's going to be this perpetual feast that you're going to do, is that every 50th day after the Passover, you're going to have this, this feast, this feast of weeks, this Shavat, okay? Now it's interesting. When you start putting it all together, Shavat, one of the things that you were to do at Shavat was you were to offer Two loaves of bread. It was the end of the wheat harvest. And a sign of thankfulness and a sign that God has kept his promise was that you had this kind of, this was your first fruits of your wheat harvest and you were to offer two loaves of bread to the Lord, okay? It was a grain offering. And this, when you offered that, this was a huge feast for them. You didn't go to work that day. How would you like that? Another day off. At this, at this particular day, the 50th day in Israel, this is what you would do. And it was a way for you to say, God, you made a promise that you would take care of us in this land, and you're, I'm offering this grain back to you. Here's two loaves. I'm so thankful that you kept your promise. Now, it's interesting. On that day when the Holy Spirit came, they were celebrating the idea that God keeps his promise. And what did Jesus promise them? The Holy Spirit. No coincidence that years and years before, God already set in motion a festival that was going to happen on the 50th day. What's also interesting is this. When Moses starts to communicate with God at Sinai, it was a little after that 50th day. And Jews still today, along with offering those two loaves, uh, those two loaves at, at this Shavuot, at this Pentecost day, even still happens today in Jerusalem, guess what else they do? They read the Torah. They read. Because in, in, in Jewish history, they believe that actually that was where the Jewish people were given the law of God. They were given the word of God. So they also celebrate God's word. And there's some interesting parallels. You remember when Moses actually was going up to the mountain and he was receiving communication from God? In Exodus 19, it says this, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire. Now it's interesting. When you read Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of what? Fire. See the parallel? That at Sinai, there's fire coming with the word of God. And at Pentecost, there's fire coming when God delivers his Holy Spirit. Very interesting. Not a coincidence. Also not a coincidence is this. Do you... Remember back at Sinai that some of those initial ones that rebelled? You know how many, does anybody remember the number of people that died initially that rebelled? 3,000. How many came to faith in Acts chapter 2 at this Shavuot? 3,000. So there's, by the way, just so you know, history is really his what? It's really his story. 
So if you're Jewish and you're here and you're in Jerusalem at this time at Shavat or Pentecost, okay? If you're Greek, you call it Pentecost. If you're, if you're Hebrew, you call it Shavat. You were here and there's something in your mind knowing, wait a minute, I'm here because I'm proclaiming that God is faithful to his promises. So I'm offering this grain offering. I'm thankful to the Lord. Also, I'm here because his word was given to us and that, that I'm, I'm here being thankful for his word, knowing that his word is what's going to guide me, that's going to help me, that's going to push me forward. And then on that day, God fulfills Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. The Holy Spirit descends. Now, why am I painting all that picture for you? Because like, oh man, Nick, you just spent like 15 minutes pointing out something to us. Like, what's the, what, what's the point of all that? Here's the point. And this is number one on your page if you've been looking at your kind of uh, outline. That first thing on your page, it says something that I think is very true. Yahweh pours out his spirit. He guides us to the truth of God's word. I think there's a parallel here. I think we see something. that You know that actually the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth in John 14, 17? That there's no way to worship God apart from his truth. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us in the truth. There's no kind of coincidence that we find God's truth being given around the first Shabbat. And we find that God's truth, the Holy Spirit, that's going to guide his people into truth, is given at the same time at Shabbat. There's no kind of, kind of um, coincidence to that. There's no accident to that. See, here's the thing. I think we've negated the Holy Spirit in kind of conservative biblical preaching churches like ours. But at the same time, I think sometimes we think that people, when they start to try to embrace the Holy Spirit, they try to embrace the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God. Things like the Word of God doesn't have anything to say or that the Holy Spirit is just only something that you can kind of make up what you believe about the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit actually is girded and grounded around the truth of God's Word. Actually, I love what Second Peter one twenty one it says this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men of God spake as they were carried along by... Does anybody know what? The Holy Spirit. Now do this. Hold your place and look at Ephesians 5.18. Are y'all still with me? I just want to point out this first thing. When Yahweh pours out His Holy Spirit, He guides us to the truth of God's Word. So if you're kind of like, man, I want to be a Holy Spirit person. I want to be a Holy Spirit man. I want to walk in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I love, I, I love like singing to the Lord. I love praying to the Lord. But listen, if you're at a concert and it's got like rocking music, and this is what I've heard people say all the time, like, you know, when I'm at a concert, like I really feel like I'm close to God. I feel like, man, this is when like I'm really walking with the Holy Spirit. And listen, I don't want to take that away from you. That's great. I want, there's, there is emotion with God. But the biggest evidence first first to being like walking with the Holy Spirit it's going to be walking with the truth of the word. Like these go hand in hand. Let me show this to you in the text. By the way, this is how we interpret the Bible. We interpret the Bible with the Bible. Ephesians 5, 18. By the way, I'm, I'm all for the emotional experience of a high of, of a worship concert. But I'm telling you that, that the essence and core is this. If you're getting truth at that worship concert, then great. I would say you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. And truth doesn't have to be like this where I'm lecturing you, Right? Uh, I'm not lecturing you. I'm edifying you, right? Like, truth can come in many different ways. You can get truth from song. You can get truth from prayer. You can get truth from fellowshipping with other people. So this can come in lots of different ways. Truth can come when you're quoting Scripture to yourself, when you're thinking true thoughts about God. Now, interesting, look at this. Look at Ephesians 5.18. It says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. 
but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? We're talking about Spirit living. Now look in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we see in the text even that a person who's filled with the Spirit, they have a kind of singing, they kind of have a singing life, and they're singing in their heart to the Lord. They're singing God's truths. And a person who's filled with the Spirit, verse 20, they give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you want to know if you're a Spirit-filled person? The question would be, do you sing hymn psalms? Do you sing spiritual songs to the Lord from your heart? Do you give thanks for all things? This is what a Spirit-filled person looks like. No, uh, I agree with this. Now do this. Parallel passage. Look at Colossians 3. Bump over one book. Now look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word, Colossians 3, you just go one book over. Or you go that way. One book. 3.16. I'm, I messed you up. I know I shouldn't even have done that. I should let you do it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You get that? Then what does it say? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Two passages, paralleling. We always interpret scripture with scripture. These two passages, it's interesting. It talks about being filled with the Spirit in relation to singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing truth about God. But then also it talks about the word of Christ dwelling richly in you, psalms, hymns, spiritual truth, being thankful to send your heart to God. What's my point to you? My point is this. Do you see the connection between the word of God and spirit-filled living? Like those two are connected to each other. They're never divorced from each other. They have to be together. And this is why I love the idea. This is why, like remember when I told you Shavat. The first Shavuot, it was right around that time when Moses starts to go up initially to Mount Sinai, right? That's that first 50 days after they leave for the Passover. And then we have this Shavuot, this Pentecost that happens 50 days after the Passover when they're celebrating not only God's provision, but also his word. Do you see this? That like there's this tie between the spirit and the word. So people say all the time, like, I want to be a person who lives under the power of the authority. I want to live in it. I want to walk in it. I want to be led by the Spirit. You're going to have to have the Word in your life. Like this Word, if it isn't, if it isn't just piercing our soul as a regular part of our life, there will be no walking in the Holy Spirit. There won't be. Now, you'll still have the Holy Spirit, but this feeling of the Holy Spirit, it comes through something like this. And by the way, it'll always be manifest in our life. So, for instance... Um, have you ever heard someone say something like this? I know what the Bible says, but I prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit is leading me in a different direction, right? You ever, or you ever said that to yourself? When a person says that, you know, in actuality, they're actually not being led by the Holy Spirit of God. Like, for instance, I've had people say before, I know what the Bible says, that I should marry a, a, a believer and not an unbeliever. I know the Bible says that, but I've prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit's leading me in this direction. Is the Holy Spirit really leading that person? No, because the Holy Spirit would never contradict itself. The, the, the Holy Spirit is what wrote this book. So how could God ever contradict itself? He would cease to be the God that he is. Or someone says something. This is what's happening a lot now. It's, hey, um, hey, listen, I know, I, I know that the Lord wants us to, to wait um, until we're married. Uh, but man, you know, I got to make sure. I've been divorced before. And, and man, I just got to make sure I'm compatible with this person. So 
man, we're going to just live together for a season just to kind of make sure that, man, I just don't want to, I just don't want to go through like another divorce. I know what the Bible says, but I prayed about it, and this is what the Lord said to me, right? Did that person actually hear from the Holy Spirit? Or is it like the thing that happens to us so many times, like, okay, I know this is a lie to say this, but it's really for the person's best. Like, I prayed about it, and this person just can't, you know, so I'm going to kind of say things. I'm just going to tell this little lie. I prayed about it. The Lord's okay with it. But is that what the scriptures say? So to be, God's pouring out his Holy Spirit. He's poured it out at salvation. This is what Joel's saying. And one of the great benefits is he guides us to the truth of God's word. If we want to live underneath the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be the word. Like without the word, there's no power. I'm telling you, if you're kind of here today and you're like, Nick, I've got no, I, I don't even understand the Bible, Nick. When I read it, I just don't understand it. Great. You know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will guide you. That means this. When you get in the Bible and you don't understand, you ask the Lord and you say, Lord, you promised that you'd help me. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to understand everything perfectly. I'm still working on it myself. But I will tell you this. If you'll just do it, the Lord will be faithful to you. If you'll ask him, the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to you. Now, you're not going to get everything the first pass. You won't get everything the hundredth pass. But if you ask him, the Holy Spirit will help you. This is his book. And I would even tell you this. If you're kind of like, man, I just don't have time for that, Nick, then I would say this. Do you have time to eat? Here's what I do in my life. Do you ever have a time in your life where you kind of feel like, man, I just don't have time for God's word, or, man, I just don't desire God's word? You know what I'll do sometimes? I'll just fast. In fact, that's one of the best times for me to fast is when I feel like I don't really want his word because what I'll say is like, hey, man does not live by by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do this. If you have a hard time getting in the scripture and making that a priority, just do this. Don't eat. Say like, I will eat a meal when I have time for the Holy Spirit in the word. And guess what you'll start to do pretty soon? You'll start to eat. I promise you. I I 100% guarantee you. That you will read the Bible this week. I mean, you will spend a you will spend some time in His Word and like really get filled with the Spirit if you'll just say, "I will not eat a meal until I have time in His Word." I guarantee you, you'll be in His Word this week, all right? Or you'll lose about twenty pounds by next week, and I'll know it. I promise you. So Yahweh's going to pour out His Holy Spirit. This is a a rejoicing blessing that Joel is talking about. And this Holy Spirit is going to guide us into God's truth. This is a part of it. This is a, a benefit. And not only that, number two on your outline, Yahweh pouring out this Holy Spirit that Joel talks about, he helps us live the new life in Jesus. Ezekiel talks about this same type of thing. Ezekiel, you don't have to turn there, but listen to what Ezekiel the prophet says about this Holy Spirit that will be poured out from Yahweh, from the great I Am on all of us that we get at salvation. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You know what, what, what Ezekiel is saying is that there comes a day when a person becomes a follower, Yahweh is going to pour out his spirit and in such a way that they will now be able to obey God. They will be able to live a new life in God. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Colossians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I became a follower at 16, the Lord made me a new creation in Christ. And you know what made me that new creation in Christ? The Holy Spirit does that. In Genesis 1-2, 
what was the Holy Spirit doing as a part of creation? He was there. Now, if the Holy Spirit's a part of creation, don't you think he can be a part of new creation? Like, in fact, I will tell you this. If you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out in your life as a result of what Joel 2 had told us. We saw the evidence in Acts chapter 2 that God is actually changing your life through the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came in your life, this new transformation is energizing your life. This energizing life now is a life that, that is obedient. And where you're not obedient, there's a desire to be obedient. Where there's not obedience, there's conviction. And in fact, Jesus told us this is going to happen this way. And he actually, Jesus actually said, I've got to leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. John 16, Jesus said this, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And Jesus said this, none of you asked me where are you going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus incarnated and is limited in time and space in his incarnation of where he's going to be, okay? And one of the things about what the Holy Spirit does is there's no kind of limitation. And one of the things Jesus said is, I've got to leave so that you can have this prophecy. You can have exactly what Joel had said so that Yahweh can pour his spirit. Do you understand that when Joel gave this, this idea in verse 28, it was shocking. It was, it was like, hey guys, if you thought it was a blessing for Assyria not to attack you, and if you thought it was a blessing to get your agriculture back from the great locust plague, this is the biggest blessing you'll ever discover. God, Yahweh would put his Deity spirit in you. You're not going to be a deity, but you're going to have God living in you. The very creator God. Now listen, if you're new in Christ or even in Christ, I promise you this. The life of living for Jesus is yours because of the Holy Spirit. So if you say to yourself, like, I can't live for God. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. You are doubting the creator God and his creating force of the Holy Spirit in your life. You actually can live this. This is your justification. This is your down payment. And not only that, but look at the third point. When Yahweh pours out his Holy Spirit, it convicts us of sin to purify us. Now, the scriptures tell us in John 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of sin and their need. But even for believers, I like... First, uh, I like 1 Corinthians 6.11. It says this about believers. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a fire, meaning like the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. So one of the things I tell people is this. If you are going to become a follower of Jesus, um, if you like sinning, don't do it. Like, the worst thing you can do, because like if you become a follower of Jesus, you will never enjoy sin the same way you did before. In fact, if you want an evidence of what's a fruit, what's an evidence in my life that I'm actually a follower of Jesus, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you cannot sin and enjoy it like you did before. Now, you can still sin. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've been a follower since 16. There's still been lots of sinning that's happened in my life. But when you are a follower of Jesus, sin never tastes the same as it tasted before because the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts. As parents, this is one of the things we're looking for with our kids. So like when parents, when our, when our kids say like Jesus is Savior and Lord, how do we assess like is this real and authentic? We're looking, 
Do we see conviction of sin in their life? Do we see them responding differently when they sinned before in the past? Do you understand me? We're looking for, is there is the Holy Spirit doing his work that he promised to do because he's supposed to be poured out on everybody's life? This is what you're looking for. By the way, just so you know this, in Christ, when the Lord purifies us by his Holy Spirit, he also helps us to obey him. This is how biblical change happens, by the way. You put off the unrighteous and you put on the righteous. Here's another evidence. The Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin and purifies, but it also grows what's called the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It's one big piece of fruit, not separate fruit. It's like a one big fruit. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So like if, if you're kind of like, how do I, what's the evidence of the Holy Spirit? It's a conviction of sin because the Holy Spirit purifies, but it's also the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want to know, like, are your kids, have your kids come to Christ? My question would be this. When they profess Jesus, do you see a growth in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in our own lives? If we've come to Christ, do we see a growth in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Now, number four, Yahweh pours out when Yahweh, Yahweh pouring out his Holy Spirit, number four, it provides spiritual gifts to the body of Christ. Um, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I preached three messages about a year ago on this. Okay, If you were to go to our website and listen to a message on March the 11th of 2018, March the 18th of 2018, and March the 25th of 2018, basically just listen to March of 2018. I talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. But I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit, one of the things he does when he pours the Spirit is he gives people spiritual gifts. He gives them abilities. And those abilities are meant to be used to edify the body of Christ. Did you know that you're gifted here today? That you're all gifted? That you all got a contribution to the body of Christ? Now, how do you know what your contribution to the body of Christ is? Well, let me ask you this. What ideas do you have as you hang around the body of Christ? What needs do you see that need to be addressed? What, and, and, and whatever you get excited about, that's probably what your gifting is. Like if you get excited about things that are acts of service, then that's probably what you're gifted in. If you get excited about teaching things, that's what you're gifted in. If you get excited to do acts of service, that's what you're gifted in. If, you're, if you get excited about intercessing in prayer, that's what you're gifted in. In fact, when you're gifted in an area, typically you're very passionate about it and you feel like everybody else should be doing it, right? That's how you kind of know some of what your gifting is. If you have, although we're all supposed to evangelize, but you have more of an evangelist gifting, then, then, that, then you're going to love and you're going to delight in it and you're going to want everybody else to do it with you. So I'll tell you this. Here's the great thing about the Holy Spirit. He gives all of us a part to play in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says this. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers every one of them. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. People say, I don't know if all the spiritual gifts that are listed in the Scriptures, I have any of those. Do you know it's not an exhaustive list? There's so many gifts and abilities and activities that are outside of you and what the Scriptures say that you can contribute to the body of Christ that can edify people in the church. It says in, verse, it says in that text that, that God is the one that all these empowered by one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit apportions to each one as he wills. The Lord gives it. Number five, Yahweh's pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It helps us through life 
including difficulties and trials. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I want you to know something about what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 through 17, here's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees nor knows Him. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. The Greek word is paraclete. It's this helper, a comforter. So Yahweh pouring out his Holy Spirit on all of us who are in Christ, that means that he helps us in all of our life, even the difficulties, even the trials. For instance, when you go into the doctor's office and you get the bad news, the Holy Spirit is meant to be there and help you with those trials. When you open up that letter out of the mail and you get the worst news that you've ever seen, the Holy Spirit is there to help you through that trial. When you get that phone call from that family member that's giving you the horrific news that you never wanted to hear, the Holy Spirit is there to meet you and help you during that trial. The Holy Spirit is there. Get this. When Joel tells these people about what's going on, this is a tremendous blessing. I mean, the locust plague, the recovery from that, that's a blessing. And Assyria kind of being held off, that's a blessing. But none of that compares to the blessing we have of the Holy Spirit being poured out into our life. And here's the last thing, number six. Are y'all with me still? I'm about to land the plane. I'm circling it though like a bee, okay? It doesn't go like that. It kind of goes like this. Yahweh's pouring out of his Holy Spirit empowers us to make disciples. Would you do this? Just look at Matthew 28, 18 as we close out. There is no reason for any of us to hang our head and to listen to our subjective feelings and say, God, you have forsaken me in my life. No, friend, you're wrong. The truth of God's word says, if you're in Christ, Yahweh has poured his spirit into your life. You're going to be okay. You are going to make it. Now, I'm not going to promise everything's going to be easy and you're going to get everything you want, but I promise you this. His grace will meet you at each moment. He will help you at each moment. And he will take you into glory successfully. However that happens, you are going to be okay. Because Yahweh has poured his spirit out to you. And Joel had told you that a long time ago. Here's the last thing. The spirit empowers us to make disciples, my friends. Make disciples. This is the hardest part, by the way, of Christian living is making disciples. Like the first part of making disciples is you've got to actually tell people about the gospel message. That's very difficult. But you know what I love about this? The Holy Spirit is what calls people to salvation. So really the pressure's off. I just have to declare it and whoever, who, whoever God's calling will receive it. So the pressure's really off for me. But even past that, if someone becomes a follower, it's trying to help disciple them in such a way they can disciple others, which is very difficult. But I find hope in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And here's where I find hope. Look in verse 18 of Matthew 28, it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all, what does it say? Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am what? With you always. Here's the deal. Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit was going to come, was going to be with us. So when Jesus says, I am with you always, what is he talking about? He's talking about this third person of the Trinity 
that, that is the spirit of Jesus, that is the third person of the Trinity, that is God coming to live among us. He's going to be with us. So when Joel says Yahweh is going to pour out his spirit on everybody, what Joel is actually in the end saying is this, God will empower you to make disciples of the nations. He will empower you to declare the gospel message. He will empower you to know that he'll, he'll walk with you always. He's always going to be there. We have nothing to hang our heads about. It's a promise. How can I do this? Because his authority is right here. So I can know that through his Holy Spirit, I can do it. And God's presence is here. So I can know through the Holy Spirit, I can actually do this. See, as as a church body, Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit is poured out to us. And we can do far more than we ever believed imaginable. Like friends, even this. The relationships you're in that are so hard to reconcile, you can keep digging in and going after that because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in your life. You can go to work tomorrow and offer the gospel because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your life. You can sacrifice your time and make disciples because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your life. You can say no to sin and yes to God because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your life. It is Yahweh pouring His Spirit into your life. The creator God in the very beginning offering you this wonderful opportunity. You are okay today. You're going to be okay. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. My hope is this. If you're not in Christ, I mean, listen, you come, come to Jesus because your sins will be forgiven and you'll have God right now. And one of the greatest ways you'll know you'll have God right now is the Holy Spirit will come to live in your life. Listen, friend. Don't think of it as some small thing. We're living on privileged ground today. Like privileged ground. And my fear is this. We've let people think, make us think the Holy Spirit is some crazy uncle who just kind of does crazy things. But the Holy Spirit is meant to guide you, lead you, help you, empower you to live out the life that God has wants you to live. Worship team, why don't you go and make your way up here? You know, people say to me this all the time. You know, Nick, it wasn't fair. You know, we're always talking about trying to live like Jesus, be like Jesus, glorify Jesus, be conformed to his image. Nick, that's not fair because Jesus was God. And so I'm not God. So it's not very fair, Nick, for us to say that we got to walk in the image of Christ and live like Jesus lived. But you know what's interesting? Go to like the Gospel of Luke. And over and over, it talks about Jesus living by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. I will tell you this. You know what's interesting about the life of Jesus? Jesus' life is a normal life. So just if you wonder today, am I dysfunctional? You know what the answer is? Yes. We're all dysfunctional. You know who the only normal person ever to live was? Jesus. You know what normal living is for Jesus? being led by the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus lived the life he lived. The Holy Spirit was empowering him. The same kind of life is promised to us. The same kind of, what's a normal living life for us? It's living a life where we know that the Holy Spirit has been poured into our life and we are living by that Holy Spirit today. Would you stand with me as we praise him? Thank you for the work of the cross. The work of the cross has made access for us to have this spirit. Would you let us today walk away with a new kind of appreciation for how the Spirit has been poured out in our life? 
would you let would you let that encourage the mom who sometimes just feels tired as she continues to disciple and nurture her children would you let her know that the Holy Spirit's walking with her as she does that would you let that person who their knees have been knocking every time they try to talk to that family member about the gospel message would you let them know that the Holy Spirit's been poured out there to help them for that person that has that new that new bump or that new health concern or that new medication that the doctors put them on because the direction of their health, you let them know the Holy Spirit is there. That person who doesn't know the words to say, doesn't know even what to pray, when the opportunity and the time has been so difficult, would you let them know the Holy Spirit's there? And for that person that's here, that they may not hurt anything, but they know that they need Jesus. And they're wondering, should they respond Should they call out to Jesus right now as Lord and Savior? Would you let them know that's the Holy Spirit calling them? And would you do it for your glory? Let's praise him together. Amen.